You are listening to the Union Smack Podcast. This retro review of In Your House 2 was originally released on July the 4th, 2020, and may include topics, both professional and personal, that have no impact on the present day. The Summer of Shit rolls on. Union Smack is back. Going retro once again. The Summer of Terror 1995 continues today. On this, before we get to that, my co-host, as always, Maniac Matt Tennant. What's going on, man? Where can everyone catch you? Oh, what a week, Travis, with all this NXT UK stuff and just everything going on. Um, you can catch me on Twitter at the Perfect Tenant, you can go to unionsmack.bigcartel.com, pick up an official shirt from all of Travis's shows, and you can actually I'm not even gonna plug the book because it's not gonna be on sale where it's usually on sale for a while, so I'll give everyone an update on where they can buy the Undertaker book and the soon to be NXT UK year one book in a few short weeks. And thankfully, you can say now there will be an NXT year two, because like you said, we'll just talk about it a little bit. We were on <laughs> pens and needles this week, because obviously the, the speaking out movement, the, the UK wrestling scene is just on fumes right now. That's an understatement. But yes, they are going to continue with the brand NXT UK. I said nothing. And I didn't see anything from people like Jack Gallagher. I saw nothing from people like Joe Coffey, who has been suspended by NXT UK pending an investigation. Um, but, you know, Jordan Devlin and Trent Seven, what's been said about them, I have no idea whether it's true or not, but they were two of the first, no, first of the, no, I can't, two of the first people to come out and say, we've got legal representation and it's being dealt with, you know, in the right way. But I don't want to think those two are guilty, obviously, but. If it comes out that they are, then they have to go as well. Yep. Kind of, kind of looking at the IWC and all that. You know, right where to go on the channel muted. But why we're here? Let's cheer ourselves up somewhat because it's ninety-five. Why are we here this week, Matt? Let's get into it. Just the fact that you cheer up a ninety-five in the same sentence, Travis. Dear God, we must I mean, compared that. to the state of the pro wrestling business right now, King of the Ring ninety-five is positive compared to this. Let's be real. God Almighty! Yeah, I mean, if if we were doing King of the Ring ninety-five this week, I think it would have have a much more upbeat, <laughs> you know, upbeat. Uh, I can't. I've give up. Have you noticed? It's like a more upbeat gone. feel to the episode. That's much. the one. That's what I was looking for. But no, this week we have In Your House 2. Um, yeah. I mean... The Lumberjacks. Those, they the start lumberjack. putting the little code names on them. Yeah. <laughs> I used to love the code names. I can't... What's number three? I think it was one international incident. Was that one? That was that was one, but it was like a year later in like 96. It was like uh, Vader and oh, those guys on the six man. Yeah. I think the next yeah. one, I don't even know if it had a name, the September one, but I do know the October one was Great White North or the Great North or something. God. <laughs> even creatively, like, titles, they just couldn't really get them good, though. It's like they had almost zero creativity on the TV shows, zero creativity for taglines, for, for pay-per-views. It was 
it was bad. But I will say my favorite pay-per-view from Unify we reviewed so far. Honestly, between a few dark spots in there, this is a guilty pleasure for me. This is one of those VHS as a kid that I rented video store. It's one of the first times I ever discovered there was wrestling action at my local video store, and it's awesome. And one of these matches is an underrated goddamn classic, but we'll get to that. But this show emanated from, I believe, Nashville, right? Yes, Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I don't think I, I didn't write down the, the arena, etc., but I did write down the dark matches, Travis. Um, <laughs> so, skip defeated Aldo Montoya in the first dark match and then they had two dark matches was it two? yeah it was two dark matches after the show went off the air and they were Bret Hart beat Jean-Pierre Lafitte um, they would have a match was it in, in your house three or four the September one yep yeah and then oh Undertaker defeated Karma in a casket match. Thank God we didn't have to sit through that. Your commentary team, thank God, is now Jerry Lawler and Vincent Man. No more Doc Hendricks. Yes. Um, and you know what? A, li- a lively crowd as well to greet them. Because after King of the Ring, I'm shocked they sold any tickets. <laughs> yeah. Yes, <laughs> true. Like... This was a very upbeat crowd. Got to give them that. Yeah. And they had no reason to be upbeat after King of the Ring. But they were ready for it. And... I always preferred Lawler on commentary. Um, it doesn't matter who he was replacing, whether it was Doc Hendricks or, you know, Michael Cole a bit later. And I, I just wish that Vincent Mann hadn't gone so long on commentary as well, especially when you had Jim Ross in the company. For sure. Um, I feel like the underlying theme, this should have been called In Your House 2, Jeff Jarrett, because there's a whole lot of Jeff Jarrett yes. on this show. He's pretty much featured... <laughs> Pretty much throughout the whole show and vignettes, interviews with the band. This was the first time we ever got to see the live performance of With My Baby Tonight. I I, I love this purely just because of all the Jeff Jarrett. You know, I'm a fan of Jeff Jarrett. He's a, he's a lovely bloke in real life. I met him and, yeah, just loved the song. 94, no, 93 to 90, let's say mid-96, Jeff Jarrett is my favorite <laughs> Jeff Jarrett. I can't argue that <laughs> at all. But it didn't just feature Jeff Jarrett. No, no, no. What did this pay-per-view kick off with, Matt? Well, after after a spectacularly dressed Vincent Mann and Jerry Lawler, who were yes. dressed as cowboys. And the Lawler, king of the cowboys, see, he said. Did you see the crown on top of the cowboy hat as well? Love oh. that bit. <laughs> Stop it. It was a He couldn't even see. How could he see? It was pulled down so low in front of his eyes. They're looking at a picture right now. Jesus Christ, Lawler. How could you see your monitor? He carried it off very, very well. The first match was 1-2-3 Kid versus the Roadie. And this came out of the story of Roadie and Jeff Jarrett putting the 1-2-3 Kid out of action. Now, it's been like two weeks since I watched this. I can't fully remember the, the clip they showed of them, you know, injuring one, two, three kid, but it looked very, very unrealistic to me. It, did. it was like just a little, <clears throat> like Jarrett was holding the kid and like what, Rody jumped off the second rope and like yeah. just when he hit him, the kid did this weird little hop and a flop. It just didn't look good. I'm with you. Totally. And it was meant, was it meant to be his neck, I think they said, or his arm, one of the two. 
supposed to be his neck. I think they're trying to play off the off the real life neck injuries that he had to kind of a catch up why he was off TV. I think he had to get surgery around this time. Not 100% on that, but I'm almost positive he had to get neck surgery around this time. But I feel like this is two pay-per-view reviews in a row where the roadie fucking put in a hell of a goddamn match. Not bad. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, a solid A for roadie for effort. Um his skills still lacked a little. Um, do, do you know what? I, I, <laughs> after I watch these old pay-per-views, I like to go um, on the internet and look, see what these so-called official websites, you know, say about them and, and review them. And they they said that uh, Rhodey was the best in '95 than he'd ever be, and that he'd deteriorate, you know, in '98 and '99. I don't agree with that. Like we said at King of the Ring, I think you know he would get gradually better, and he showed sparks of that here and the king of the ring against bob holly i felt like he got way better in ring as time went on when he was in the new age outlaws yeah. and the team but as far as a singles competitor it was kind of the era too where like in ring didn't matter obviously in the attitude era i mean he's beating big boss man for the hardcore title like a royal rumble jesus christ i mean what in ring masterpiece that was i'm sure we'll get to that someday but yeah i mean i'm with you and I mean, God, he was he was so green here. He was definitely trying to prove himself, like we said, for King of the Ring with that good match with Bob Holly. You could tell this was in Nashville in a very kind of, like, I feel like there was a lot of fucking audio tweaked with on the show. And there was a, this was a very pro-Jeff Jarrett crowd, I feel like. Yeah, Until Shawn yeah. Michaels came out. But that's a whole other story. But I feel like for this match, the roadie was the baby face. Yeah, yeah, totally. But, you know, Music City and Jeff Jarrett was supposedly the music star, and it fit. It fit, and it was nice. Um, it was a bit weird to see, like, the roadie getting cheered more over one, two, three, kid. But, yeah. you know, it was 95, Travis. I, none of this mattered, let's be honest. It, it's crazy to think what the finish of this match was and they got the green light to do it considering the, you know, the neck issues with the kid. It was a top rope pile driver and it yeah. one slight move to the left could have been disastrous, but <laughs> thank God the kid wasn't hurt, but this looked terrible and not like it was boss, like nasty in a good way. Yeah. It didn't even look like a pile driver to me. It looked like he pulled him towards him and they both just sort of flopped. Yeah. From the buckles, and you know, obviously, the kid was lucky enough not to land full force on his head and neck, and yeah. But I mean, this this was a different one, two, three, kid. You know, this this wasn't the smiley, baby face, one, two, three, kid who looked like he'd just you know, finished playing on his bicycle. You know, it, there was a definite change in attitude and. Obviously, he'd right. turn heel later on in the year over Reyes Ramon, but you could see it sort of manifesting here, I think. And what's even crazier, a year after this, he'd be the bearded stoner guy in the NWO, <laughs> only a year yeah. later, you know? <laughs> and it's also crazy that these guys were part of the mo one of the most over overstables of all time in like three years, you know? Yeah. DX yeah. opening up a 95 show. How, how far they come in, you know, just a few, few years? You know what? I did enjoy this, and it goes back to that Jeff Jarrett throughout the entire show. During this match, they showed like a dual screen of Jarrett watching back in the monitor. And I love this story um, how Jeff Jarrett wasn't paying attention to the monitor. He didn't give a shit about the roadie. He was just using, obviously, the lip syncing stuff, which we'll get to. But yeah, I like that fine little touch. And again, they showed him talking to his backup singer girls, you know, giving them tips like, y'all yeah. ready? 
y'all ready to do this? Y'all nervous? Like, it was great. It, it drove home the fact that Jeff Jarrett will use anyone as a chicken shit heel. Let's talk about the elephant in the room in a real-life situation, actually, what happened after this show. This was Jeff Jarrett and the roadies' last show for until, like, the end of the year when Jarrett came back for, like, a one-off with Ahmed Johnson. I love Ahmed yeah. Johnson. Um, it was like, what, did they hold up, they held up Vince for money, kind of like the warrior and walked out immediately, something like that? I think, yeah, I think that's what I heard. And obviously Vince isn't one to be held up for money, you know, nails and warrior never ended well for them. But I mean, just fancy doing that. Like, uh, I love Jeff Jarrett and he was, you know, mid to upper card intercontinental champion, etc. But in 95, when nobody's really performing well. Like, as if you're going to hold up your boss for money. I thought it was a very selfish thing. I think it was a really bad look for Jeff Jarrett and the roadie at this time. And, I mean, you're right. They weren't, the money wasn't making, it was the lowest point in their history at this time. Yeah. As opposed to now with the ratings in the doldrums. But, yeah, I mean, I thought it was a dumb business move totally. And it, I mean, besides, like, that one-month return in 96, Jarrett was blackballed from this company for, like, a year until he came back for, like, the NWA invasion shit. They were way more lenient with Rhodey. He'd come back with the real Double J, Jesse James bullshit gimmick. But, see, the criminal thing about that gimmick is I feel like in this, if they would have got the play out, I feel like it would have got over a little bit more. Not too much because it was still a shit gimmick. But it's a shame that we didn't see that true story play out because he just came back as the real Double J with no Jeff Jarrett there. You know what I mean? So you're expected to remember an angle from, like, a year and a half ago. It's kind of dumb. And do you know what? Had they not, you know, done that and Jarrett not gone and, I mean, and you said, like, they were more lenient with, with Rhodey, but let's not forget he, uh, he had a, put in a feud against Rockabilly, so it wasn't all that good for him. Yeah, but, but they still gave him his job back at least. Oh, yeah, he still got his job back and eventually, like... I think maybe out, they kind of looked but... at it like, and it was kind of more like he was greener in the business and obviously he was the, the sidekick to Jared, so he was just kind of going where he thought, you know, where the, the yeah. food on the table, so to speak, so... Joe, you know, I, I would have liked um, to see this feud, this, feud, this rivalry and storyline come full circle because In Your House too, yeah, they played on the Jarrett and Rhodey sort of breaking up storyline we'll, we'll get to him costing jeff jarrett the title later on and you know the whole lip syncing thing etc etc i would have liked to have seen them either have jeff jarrett take the intercontinental title back from Shawn michaels at some point and then gradually maybe build the roadie up to a point where he could have beat jeff jarrett for the title at the end of the the rivalry I could have seen that. I could have also seen an in your house main event with like Diesel defending the title against Jeff Jarrett and the roadie costing him the title. That one, you know. Yeah. Either way, I could have seen that. Um, but that was that. Roadie gets the win and a pretty decent little match. Um, where did that take us next, Matt? That took us to Top Pattengill with the Million Dollar Corporation. And honestly, three shows in now, Travis. I'm done with Million Dollar Corporation. We've gotten the exact same backstage promo every pay-per-view. <laughs> Even the way the camera angle's shot in the locker yeah. room is exactly the same. No difference. The only and difference is who's in the match. And they're stood in the exact fucking same positions, have you noticed, for every promo they've done. And why? Like, if, if this had just been Ted DiBiase saying he'd bought the Lumberjacks and then Sid doing his little bit about how he's going to... Uh, I think He said something about an asylum, I think, and you know, he's put diesel there, et cetera, et cetera. But they have to give the microphone to Tatonka. And, you know, we love Tatonka, but fuck's sake, he couldn't talk. He had nothing good to say. And his delivery 
it almost put me to sleep. Did he have trouble pronouncing his R's? Like, R? <laughs> Did he talk weird to you? <laughs> like a little kid? I think so. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I thought he was just from where he was from, but maybe right. it was an actual speech impediment. Who knows? <laughs> God, the, the Indian gimmick with a speech impediment. Did that take us next to tag team action? Um, it, well, it took us first to, I think it was Barry Davinsky. Oh, with I the babyface lumberjacks? Yeah, Dean yes. and Shawn Michaels, and he he was more bothered about selling merchandise than actually interviewing Diesel and Shawn Michaels. And look they, at, they look, said, "Let's run down this lineup for the baby figure." Ready? Fatu, <laughs> Adam Bomb, Techno Team Two Thousand, Bob Spark, Plug Holly. It just gets worse and worse and worse oh. as you go. But at the end of the day, you can say that technically, Techno Team Two Thousand main event of the goddamn pay per view. How sad! Is that? Jesus Christ. <laughs> Well, no, this so was one of those shameless Dedensky fucking shill plugs of merchandise. And eventually, well, did you see the little, like, while Dedensky was trying to plug it, like, Michaels and Diesel had their back turned. And then, like, Sean turned around real quick and, like, pushed him in the back. And then yeah. they came to talk to him. Like, he was just fucking with Dedensky. Yes. And they said something, and I don't know what they said, because I could hardly hear it over the roar of the lumberjacks in the background. And it was, <laughs> it was a badly done segment, Travis, that was just really designed to sell the latest t-shirts and then in your house two t-shirts look fucking terrible by the way oh yeah what's worse these are the king of the ring 95 baby blue shirts (laughs) um i'd I'd say these because they just look white and plain and horrible it's just like where's like even down to the merchandise zero creativity Nope, it was just shitty font on a shirt and, like, a preview of the match from that pay-per-view. It was dumb and, yeah, horrible. Yeah, awful. Now, we'd come back to more babyface lumberjacks later on, correct? And one more message. That's the one I'm waiting to get to, trust me, because I have a lot to say about that fucking one. But, you know, D.B. Austin could take his money and stick it, you know? Yeah, we'll get there with Billy Gunn. uh, But up next, tag team action playing off the last month's pay-per-view. King Mabel, Sir Mo, going up against... The guy that made it all the way to the finals, the new top babyface in the company, Matt, the red hot Savio Vega and Razor Ramon. Oh, dear. I mean, I'm not going to shit on this match because it, it wasn't as bad as I remembered it being or even expected it, you know, to be after King of the Ring. The ending, I, I, I'm going to say like the end three and a half minutes was very good. The rest, you know, you can probably fast forward it to the finale. I'm going to go on a limb and say this is the best men on a mission tag match I've ever seen. Ever. Wow. I don't <laughs> <laughs> with with Smoking guns was better, but that's probably it, right? Even with all the rest holds and just like Mabel sweating, you know, it's just. But look Honestly, at the I... bar that's set. Men on a mission. <laughs> <laughs> I know. All right. all right. Granted, the bar was very low. But then at the same time, you've got Scott Hall in there who. He couldn't do much with Mabel, but I felt he could have done a little more with Mo. You know, and may, even maybe a, a Razor Mo Mabel square off would have been nice to tease something. You know, he couldn't do anything with it. He couldn't get him up. He couldn't lift him. He couldn't throw him into the ropes, etc. But do something with it. You know, just 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 sort of Scott Hall's almost on his way out. He's got less than what a year. Yeah. left in WWF. At this point in his career, he was solely mid-card. They'd missed the boat to push him to the main event completely. 
he'd have that great match with Sean at SummerSlam. And then just the feud with the one, two, three kid. It's like you could have made something of this, but you didn't. He would get one more IC run, but I think that was just by default because Sean got beat up by yeah. those Marines, right? And then Razor was just filled. It get Dane Douglas, yeah. Now I will say that led to the amazing Razor and Gold Dust feud, but that's another show for another time. We'll get there someday, hopefully. Because I love <laughs> King of the Ring, or excuse me, Royal Rumble '96. I love that pay per view. But anyway, this, my opinion, like I said, the best men on a mission tag match. Really surprised to see Mo. I mean, it was kind of crooked, but he did a fucking moonsault out of nowhere. <laughs> Holy he shit! Did, yeah. And I, I, the best part of this for me was when Razor threw Mabel from the top rope, like. Yeah. Yeah, credit to Mabel for taking that bump. Right. From up there at his, you know, because if, if he hadn't have done the full rotation, then dead in the ring, I think. I know that fans, and myself included, we complain about shaky cam in modern wrestling, but very rarely it was done back then. And on that spot, whenever like a Yoko or a Mabel take a spot, they do the shaky cam, and it worked out yeah. really good, I feel like, watching on TV. Oh, yeah, believable because of their weight and, you know, the way they hit the ring every time. If they'd have done it on, in every match and every show, people would just gone, oh, for fuck's sake, another weird camera angle. Like now. They, like now. It, they do it for Dave Mastiff in NXT UK when he comes out onto the stage and, you know, does his little stomp. It's effective because it's not, you know, twice a match, every match, every week. Right. Men on a mission, we get the win here. Obviously, this was, you know, getting that rocket strapped to Mabel's back. What a goddamn strong rocket that had to bend to lift him up. But uh, did you notice the skull and crossbones on their boots this show, at least? Do you know what? I not only noticed them, I added them into the fire program. <laughs> I, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> Just for you, Travis. How lazy is that? You're, you're a heel now. Put a skull and crossbones on there. Yeah. Oh. I mean... This, I'm going to be honest, it's like, it didn't matter. It's Mabel. It's going towards the WWF Championship, the, the main event. Nobody really cares anyway. So, uh Did that take us... Go ahead. I was just going to say, I've got nothing else to say about Mabel right now. Yeah, because unfortunately, <laughs> we got to talk about him a little bit in the main event. Um, did that take us to Big Al on the, on the mic interviewing the band yet? Are we almost there? It, Yes, it did. Todd Pettengill was Jeff Jarrett's band, Big Al. Um, charismatic Big Al, who looked like he wanted to be anywhere else. I thought it was John Madden. He's like John Madden's brother. He's like a dead ringer. <laughs> I noticed that, actually. So, you know, we're diehard Pettengill fans, but at the end of the day, was this the cringiest segment Pettengill's ever been in when he's... <sighs> ba 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 Tell the drummer to do shit and then dancing with the girls and then just coming all over Big Al like he's fucking Jimi Hendrix. I mean, this was really cringe Pettengill to the max for me. Well, he didn't cover himself in glory. Let's put it that way. You know what was hilarious to me? You know, Pettengill, he talked to the girls and he did the thing with the drummer. He was so hyped, right? Then he's like, all this shit, blah, 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 Big Al, you ready? And then he puts the mic in Big Al's face all pumped up and Big Al goes, I'm ready. Like the most unenthused fucking response you could possibly give. And yeah. shout out to Big Al. He uh he wrote with my baby tonight. He did the vocals on the In Your House Tonight. And he did the WrestleMania 11 song. So Big Al got a lot of play in 95. Yeah. Got uh, a lot of money from Vince. A lot of TV time. And I love that In Your House song. 
fucking one of the best theme tunes, I think, for me. I don't know if you agree, but like agree. one of the best pay-per-view theme tunes I think they've ever done. I don't even have to ask either. I know how much you love this this band set up with the big JJ behind it for Jeff Jarrett. I know you marked the fuck out for that. Go for this. It's one of the best parts of the show for me, along with the Continental Title match. It's just like, oh, this is what I want. I do got to give them credit, even though it's 1995, obviously one of the low points in the company, which you say so much. This was one of the most ambitious angles they'd ever done at the time, from the fact of going out and get a band that was going to be a whole lip-syncing gimmick. Like, there was a lot of thought put in this angle, I feel like. So I got to give them props on that. Oh, yeah. I mean, they went yeah the whole hog with it, from the band to the live performance. Um, I can't remember. Did they actually put, like, a, a CD or cassette tape out of it? Uh, they did. They sold a cassette tape of the single. I said, no, I think Vince said it on the show. It would be available t- tomorrow night on Raw. So ah, you can check okay, that well, episode of Raw on the network, guys. And, if, you know, if you could buy the cassette tape then. so I'm We never sure. got that over here. So I, I didn't know whether you got it over there. But do you know what? From obviously the bands to the live performance to actually putting out a cassette tape of it, then they went in the whole hog with it. It's just a shame that it didn't really lead to, to much, obviously, because of the Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> roadie situation backstage yeah um you said the whole hog did that take us to the dreaded match that i think's next um Speaking no this, this this took us to <laughs> to doc Hendricks with diesel and the lumberjacks okay this is when adam bomb and all those guys got a little yeah. mic time right yes it, it uh Wow, they, they they started pointing the finger at each other because Ted DiBiase had said he'd bought one of the lumberjacks, and it was like, "It's you, no, it's you." I'd never sell out. It's you. Oh God! I don't think Diesel was in this. I think it was Bam Bam leading the troops in this. If it was, then I've, I've noted it down wrong. You know what's hilarious about this whole angle? Like, who, which lumberjack sold out? It ended up being fucking nobody. Nobody sold out. <laughs> yeah. So it was a moot fucking angle. It's a shame as well, because it was a nice little bit of intrigue watching the main event. It's like, did anyone sell out? I can't remember, but just waiting for that moment. And it was like, oh, no, it was an empty, empty promise. Now, this is reaching, and this is a desperate attempt to salvage something in an angle at the time. Dare I say it should have been Adam Baum and turn him a heel again. <coughs> I mean, maybe. I mean, maybe the smoking guns, that would have been slightly interesting, but... We didn't have a whole lot to work with here, Matt, as far as the being. <laughs> Can you hear us struggling, everyone, just to come up with, with someone and something? But, Are you uh... going to push Fought 2 as a top heel from the streets, <laughs> Fought 2, make a difference, Fought 2? They could have made them all gangster, maybe. I don't know. It would have shut the bed. Anyway. I mean, they, they went with the Tonka, fucking hell. You know? They tried to make him a big, uh, big heel, and it didn't work. But, I mean, out of the lot of them, you're probably right. Probably Adam Bomb. Um, but even then, would you have pushed Adam Bombs like a a major heel in 95? Well, we're forgetting the biggest one of all. We're leaving out the biggest star of all in this segment. For the first time in the history of the three years of this show, we can talk about the legend known as the man atop the mountain of the rocks, Matt. Man Mountain Rock was accused of selling out. He goes, well, you know, I could use a new guitar. No, DiBiase's money is dirty money, man. What a fucking yeah. promo that was. Jesus. Oh, you, you can generally say why 
some of these people never made it past like low to mid card level. Let's go there for two seconds because we're never going to get to talk about him again. I didn't hate the Max Payne gimmick in WCW, but when they brought him in here and made him a big fat guy in pajamas, it was awful. Awful. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, I mean, as a kid, I love Man Mountain Rock, but, you know, going back and watching him now, yeah, it, it's not great. The hair, you know, the dyed Ugh. ginger and black hair, it's not great. Not right at all. You know, I can't even remember him having a, like I can't remember any of his matches from when I was a kid. I just remember him playing guitar in like this little promo segment, but I don't remember him like I remember him the, like splicing him in on like superstars intros and stuff, just wailing on the guitar. But I don't remember shit from his in ring. It's probably for the best. I mean, didn't he have like an in your house match with Henry Godwin at some point? And that that was his major like the biggest thing he ever did in WWF. It might have been, that might have been superstars, but I, I remember Man Mountain Rock and Henry Godwin somewhere. I don't know. That, that's it. That's it for me. Like when you peek just, on an episode of Superstars, I mean that speaks for itself. Am I right? <laughs> the furthest you're ever going to get is a weekly television spot. Enjoy. So now that the the accusations are flying, who sold out? Where did that take us to next, Matt? That took us to Jeff Jarrett's performance of With My Baby Tonight. Oh, Thank I could, God. I could, what a palate cleanser this is. I could watch this on a loop all week and not get bored of it. I even enjoyed the long-winded promo before it because I feel like it built that, especially at the time watching it live, because the big thing was, like, can he really pull this off and blah, 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 and that long-winded, y'all ready to eat some crow promo really built it up to when the music finally kicked in. The, from everything, from the light and the laser setup was pretty impressive for 95. I mean, they treated it like it was like Motley Crue or, you know, an actual fucking yeah. big band there. Um, I got to say, a very underrated performance by Jeff Jarrett here. And I loved how they even, just the minute nuances in this, how they kind of showed Rhodey going to the back to, quote, yeah. fix the text up. And then as soon as Jarrett was done, he came out from behind. But Jarrett didn't miss a fucking beat in this lip syncing. Like, you would, like, he... I, I think even as a kid, like, I didn't even think the fact that this was a lip syncing angle was in my head. Like, I really thought he was singing because it's so crazy how the roadie's voice kind of just sounds like Jeff Jarrett. They almost sound the same. Like, if Jeff Jarrett sung, that's what you think he would sound like. Yeah, and he was spot on throughout the whole thing. And like you said, <clears throat> he covered himself well, Jeff Jarrett, with the hand movements and, you know, the hand close to the mouth. So you, you couldn't really tell he was lip syncing. And the voices matched perfectly. Um, obviously, looking back at it now, you know, we, we can clearly see his lip syncing. But at the time, it was like, oh, ain't some of the most Some of the most un underrated ensemble wardrobes ever, too, are Jeff Jarrett in this era. This was like um, yeah. cow, cow print pants with like the sparkly sequence vest or whatever. <laughs> and I, I feel like, oh, by the way, I know you popped one that you got your live version of the Jeff Jarrett theme before he actually sang the song. Yes, love the jar. Tennessee Swing has to be one of the best theme tunes WWF ever did. So I feel like when, after, you know, Jeff Jarrett's flawless <laughs> performance here, I felt like the crowd would have popped a little louder, but they didn't. It was kind of a half-ass pop. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think they came for the wrestling, and it was like, not really that bothered about a music performance, but... Do you know what? Fuck Nashville crowd. I enjoyed this 
so much more than ninety percent of this show, and this show wasn't even bad. The two best things on the show feature Jeff Jared. We'll get to the very best thing on the show in a little bit. Yeah. After this, was it Todd Pettengill taking a petition in the crowd, thumbs up or thumbs down for the performance? Um, I, I believe it was. I didn't note that down if it was. The next the next thing I've got is a SummerSlam 95 ad. Oh, my God, where it's the old lady sitting on the porch with the old men, and then Diesel pulls up, and magically she turns into – they all turn young. Like, Diesel, Diesel yeah. has magical fucking powers. Oh, yeah. my God. I had forgotten oh. all about this commercial until I watched this for this episode. Good job I, uh, I brought it up there, didn't it? To remind you of the horrors of – of Granny getting wet for Big Daddy Cole. Yeah. Granny turned out to be a little fucking slut, to be honest. And <laughs> she just left with Diesel and left her husband there on the porch. Oh, Granny the slut. There you go. That's, that's your uh, soundbite for this week. <laughs> <laughs> Next, I think we got Todd, you know, polling the audience. And this was fucking great. Just the, and I'm sorry. To anyone that lives in Nashville, please don't take offense to this. But from the little kid going, hey, he's pretty good, to, to the one redneck guy going, hey, stinks, to Jesus Christ, stereotypes the promo in this. Ridiculous. <laughs> but so bad it's good. Yeah. Yeah. From top, top to the inbred crowd, it was very, very 95, Travis. That's all I can say. I thought that little kid that he interviewed, too, was uh, one of those kids on Home Improvement. One of those actors that looked just like him, but it wasn't. <laughs> now, during this, all of a sudden we hear this music, and we go right into our next match. The Sue-wee! ping, ping, ping. Henry yeah. fucking Godwin has made it to pay-per-view finally, Matt, against Bam Bam Big. This match was shit. It was awful. It was, yeah, it was the pits. And um, Can I just point out? <clears throat> Before we get into the match, Henry Godwin's theme was literally him making noises into a microphone. That was it, and like two picks on a banjo, like two notes. Awful. Just, I much preferred when he got with Phineas and you know, don't go messing with the country boy, all that stuff. It was, it was much more characteristic of two pig farmers who are now baby faces and you know, dancing around. Linking arms with Hillbilly Jim, it was uh, it was much. I can't, I'm going to go as far as to say, Travis, that like Henry Godwin was lost as a, a heel. He was much more suited to a baby face in '95, but weirdly would then be much more suited to a heel character in the Attitude Era. Yeah, those are my favorite Godwins. Those disgusting heel, just in their overalls, you know, yeah. getting their necks broke by the LOD on Shotgun Saturday Night. I love those Godwins, but um. Let's talk about the other side of this. This, you know, we all know the backstage stuff. It's come out in shoot interviews over the years. Bam Bam Bigelow did not get along with the click at all backstage. A lot of claims that he was completely deep pushed because of you know politics with those guys. But I feel like this was really this was the downward spiral for Bam Bammer's career in the WWE because by the end of this, at Survivor Series '95, he did the JOB to Gold Dust in like four minutes. I mean, it, it, you you would think watching the Raw after Mania 11, they were going to build him up to like a world title babyface guy or a top guy, something. But no, it was all downhill, and it's just shitty case of politics and wrestling. I mean, <clears throat> it's, yeah, I agree with that, but at the same time, it's like Bigelow blaming the Click for like not getting a push. I think ninety five Bigelow, aside from WrestleMania 11. What he he wasn't the same as he was in '93 and you know, arguably '94. He he 
he peaked for me, Bam Bam Bigelow, as, as an actual technical wrestler, for which he, he will be remembered as one of the best big men in the, in the history of the business. But that side of him in 95 had severely declined. Uh, he'd find it sort of in ECW again, but then it, you know he had more of the hardcore stuff to you know to gloss over what he couldn't do, and obviously his WCW run. I mean, for it, me, was a complete failure. It, it, like his WC, his his debut on Nitro was fucking amazing, but they never capitalized on that. Yeah, you know. But you know, in, in ring, he, he definitely wasn't the same wrestler as he was in '93, '94, and before that. So I, I think you can blame the click to a certain extent, but then you have to look at it and say, where would you have taken a 95 Bam Bam Bigelow? Because he certainly wasn't WWF championship material in summer of 95. And I'm with you too. I think a lot of those claims from Bigelow was a lot of sour grapes. Also, I don't think yeah. it was all the click. And I'm, I, I totally agree. For me, I think Bam Bam Bigelow peaked with Bret Hart in 93. And after this yeah. stint, it was like a feud with Doink and Lawrence Taylor and just playing <laughs> second fiddle in the Million Dollar Corporation. That was it. Yeah. Tatanka. Yeah, I, I, I mean, Jesus. I, th- I think once he fell, you know, into the, the sea of faces in the Million Dollar Corporation, that, that he, he was pretty much done. I, I enjoyed the Doink stuff as a kid. You know, it still raises a smile with me today. But his best years were certainly behind him and had been for arguably a year or so. The finish of this match, by the way, the crowd was completely fucking dead for this. They didn't give two shits about either guy. But the finish of this match was also dog shit. It came out of nowhere. Like, I, crap, feel like, I feel like the ref was just like, all right, you guys got to get the fuck out of here. Take it home. Like, you're dying a slow death. Yeah, and the, the end was so unbelievable. Like, Henry Godwin... Misses a knee drop from the second, not even from the top rope. He misses a tame knee drop from the second rope, and Bigelow just crawls across him and hooks his leg for the for the, like what? That couldn't have been the planned finish. It couldn't have no. been. No, no, the, the planned finish had to have been, you know, the Bigelow headbutt from the top rope. But they, yeah. the, you know, either the, the Jeff Jarrett performance went over time. And they had to cut this match short. Or Vince was sat there at ringside thinking, this is horseshit. Get it off the screen now. Yeah, exactly. This this was definitely an audible. This was not the finish. There's no way this was a finish because it made no goddamn sense. Um, but thank God we can cleanse, cleanse our hands of that match. Up next, we're going to get to the good stuff, though, Matt. Where that takes to. Oh, sorry, I thought you cut out. That took us to uh, Bob Backlund in the audience. God bless Bob. Right. We Okay, I forgot about this. We didn't really get to hear Bob. It just kind of showed him in the crowd. Like, there was no yeah. audio, but he was like, shit. He was like lecturing like some teenagers, I feel like. And some. I remember some teenager going to shake his hand to be a little smart-ass prick, and Bob didn't sell it at all because he's a heel. Tremendous Bob. I thought this Bob Backlund would have fared so much better in uh, in 94 against Bret Hart than just the stoic, bitter Bob Backlund. Right. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, his end ring was done for the most part right yeah. now. Like, they, he, he, this is all he did. Yeah, he could have relied on that character to carry him so much more than, you know, his, his bitter, stoic, 94, Owen Hart managed, led Bob Backlund. It was just... A year too late, Travis, for him, I think. I'm going to give our listeners a little homework this week. For some reason, speaking of Bob Backlund, I was on the network. I was watching um, 
Jesus Christ Championship Wrestling, WWF from like 80. And um, the Iron Greek Spears Arion versus Bob Backlund for the title was a really good fucking match. And I was really surprised. So if any of you guys get a chance, hit check out that hidden gem. Spear, Spears Arion is a very underrated guy from back in the day. There you go. That's your homework. And leave it in the comments if you watched it, what you thought. Or, you know, tweet us on Twitter what you thought. Did that take us to Todd the Bod with the Heartbreak Kid, man? Yes, that did. Um, and sure, I don't know. It, maybe it was just me, Travis, but he looked like he was... He'd taken something 10 seconds before them cameras were on him, Sure, Michaels, because he, he was every, he was lively, he was smiling, he was ready for it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, when they threw it back to Todd Pentagill immediately, he made a comment about, like, Bob Backlund from president, and then, like, Shawn Michaels did, like, the Richard Nixon peace signs. Like, I'm pretty sure he was on, like, 18 somas for this promo, but um, <laughs> really, he kind of came off like a whiny little bitch. He kept talking about how it was his birthday, and nobody called him on his birthday. Yeah. Get over it. You're a grown fucking man. Nobody calls me on my birthday. I'm lucky if my mother calls me. <laughs> why, why would you throw that into your promo, by the way? What fucking relevancy did that? Ah, uh, it was just dumb to me. This isn't one of Sean's best promos, in my opinion. I do think, I do think this is one of Sean's all-time best gears. I love the white and gold. I love it. Yes. Um, do you prefer, because there was a slight difference, do you prefer this white and gold or the WrestleMania 12 white and I gold? I prefer the 12 because it was more, like, shiny on the hearts. And I'm a yeah. mark, so. <laughs> Plus, like, his, his vest was cooler looking for 12. It was like a, it's like a wrap around. This was kind of just like a lame vest, but it's still a great yeah. outfit. I think Shawn Michaels' baby face had the best outfits of the era. He, he, his heel outfits were all a little bit, you know, samey, if you like. Obviously, he had the classic white with, uh, I was going to say green. They weren't green. They were red hearts. Yeah, the and, zebra prints. Yeah, before the hearts. Yeah. Tell you what, fucking tricky to make on Fire Pro, though. I'll tell you that. But uh, anyway, this, this is not a Fire Pro podcast. <laughs> no, this is one of my favorite matches of all time up next. One of the most underrated matches. The best Jeff Jarrett match I've ever seen to this day. And both guys deserve as much credit in this match. Intercontinental title match defending champ Jeff Jarrett against Shawn Michaels. Shawn going for the three-peat, right? For the first time ever. It's never been done, I think. Yeah. Yeah, they drove that yeah. in. What? A goddamn pop for Shawn Michaels. And I really feel like this point in time is when Vince said, all right, I got to make him the guy at Mania next year. Like, it was, you couldn't deny this. Like, he got a bigger pop than Diesel. We didn't see the dark match with Bretton Taker, but on this show, on air, hands down, Shawn was the most over-fucking guy in the company right now. Without a doubt. Oh, yeah. Again, we said it, you know, last week, and I think we said it in, uh, in Your House 1 review, like, They'd been waiting, I think, to cheer Shawn Michaels like this for a long time. But obviously, the cocky character didn't warrant it. But now he was like, fight for the people and friends with Diesel. And, you know, just just the babyface Shawn Michaels, you could all get behind. It was like, finally, we can go wild and just scream the fucking place down for him. And shout out to Vince and Lawler on commentary, because... Lawler was shocked that Jarrett didn't get a good reception in his hometown. And Vince was like, oh, suck on that, Lawler. What do you think about that reaction? It was just those two. This <laughs> some of the best back and forth these two ever had was just in this match. 
And there was a great part in this match where Vince's mic went out and Lawler was kind yeah. of just left holding the bag and he had to cover it. And when Vince like came back in, Lawler was like, what are you doing? I was doing fine. It was great. Everything about this was great. The commentary, the crowd, the match was perfect for me. A perfect fucking match right here. I don't know what you think about it, though, match. So go ahead. Oh, loved the match. I mean, I was I was thrilled <laughs> to see Jeff Jarrett finally get like one of his most career-defining matches. You know, he he he'd had some great matches with Razor Ramon. I know a lot of people don't even like him, but I I liked a lot of his, not all of them, but a lot of his matches with Razor Ramon. And his match was the one, two, three kid at King of the Ring '94. I enjoyed that very much as well. But here, it's like, yeah, he turned it up to another knot. It was almost, Travis, like he knew he was as good as done in WWF, Jeff Jarrett. So it was like, the title's coming off for me. I'm going to make this one one people remember. It just speaks to what Pride had as a performer. Because, I mean, considering the backstage shit going on literally right before this match, he could have just gone out and phoned it in like a motherfucker. You know, but he didn't. Yeah. He gave his best performance I've ever seen him give. There was a spot in this match, which at the time was one of those, I got to rewind it and watch it again, that amazing spot that I'd never seen where um, Jared's in the corner, Shawn Michaels comes charging, Jared gives Shawn a backdrop over the fucking corner, turnbuckle to the outside right on his goddamn back, and it holds up. It's nasty. I love that spot. And there's nothing to even break it. It's like Shawn just takes the bump, like, flat on his back, and it it looks sick, but brilliant at the same time. Exactly. I mean, this was this perfectly paced. It told a great story, um, especially with the, the finish where, um, you know, we saw it a million times where Rhodey would like trip the guy's leg when he's running off the ropes. Rhodey got too cocky doing it over time, though, and had his back turned doing it, trying to be a hot dog strutting floozy. Sean had reversed the Irish whip, tripped up Jeff Jarrett unintentionally. By the time Rhodey had turned around, sweet chin music, one, two, three, the place goes ape shit. The first ever three time IC champion. I miss this era of the Intercontinental title because this was, you would have thought he just won the goddamn world title. That's how important this belt was back then, Matt. And God damn it, yeah. I know they're trying now, but I feel like it's never going to be like this again with the IC belt. They've let, they fucked around with it for just too many years at this point. You know? Agreed, yeah. It, it's a, it's a, as good as dead championship today, but here it was, as, it was more important than the WWE. Yeah. Start that again, shall I? It was more more important than the WWF Championship. You know, Diesel wasn't a great draw. His feud with Sid and the Million Dollar Corporation was horseshit. And so it's like you drop down the cards. You've got Shawn Michaels, an exciting performer. You've got the Intercontinental title, which still meant something. And obviously, you know, you go into SummerSlam with a, a... you know, a rematch built into your hand of Sean and Razor in a second ladder match compared to Diesel and Mabel on top. Yep. I Literally, I could well, I could throw this match on any day. I'd, I'd put it on a top 20 if I made my all-time favorite match just because of how much I watched it when I was 11 years yeah. old. This just made me... This match, literally, like, I liked him before, but this drove it home that Sean was my new guy. This match. I can't deny that. Yeah, and you know what? For all those people that say Jeff Jarrett was, you know, never that great, then watch this and eat shit. Eat shit. That was a bit aggressive, wasn't it? (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) Fuck the IWC. They can eat all the shit anymore. I don't care. Not you guys, our lovely listeners. Not you. But uh, yeah, eat shit. Yeah. (laughs) 
No, see, the problem with having a great match like this in the middle of the card is guys got to go out and follow it. And when you got a world title match and a tag team title match, this wasn't a good recipe for anything I want to eat. No, no. Um, but before that, we had Barry Da Vinci with Shawn Michaels in the locker room. Oh, God, Travis, this was more fucking merchandise selling. And more lumberjacks. It's like the, fir- the camera cuts in, and this Barry bloke. I don't know. I'm not going to even pronounce his last name because I'm sure I'm pronouncing it wrong. Barry Dedinsky. Dedinsky. I'll put down Da Vinci. What a but, fucking you know, I was close. <laughs> he, he, he was dressed, if I'm not mistaken, in Shawn Michaels' new shirt. Um, he had his hat and his fucking glasses <laughs> and his gloves. The glasses were hearts. It was like you were a walking merchandise stand now. <sighs> Who was this aimed for? For Because... I mean, the only people I saw wearing this merch in crowds at the time were like little girls. Like, um, why would you try to market this way with this dorky little man wearing Sean's merch? It looked terrible. Terrible on him. Yeah. I mean, uh. I, <laughs> I bought this um, a year later. It, <clears throat> I went to see WWF Live in Birmingham. Sid versus Farouk for the WWF Championship was the main event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Bret Hart versus Mankind was on the card. That was a good match. Um, and I, I, yeah. I bought the the Shawn Michaels hat and glasses and gloves at the time. I don't think I I wore them much. I wish I still had them today because it was a nice bit of merchandise, but not on Barry. I used to have the Bret shades, and I wish I still had them. I got those at Kangaroo Match before. Oh, I used to have the Bret shades. I got them free with a. A Coliseum video. I think it might have been WrestleFest 93 or maybe UK Rampage, but they, they gave them away free with the VHS, and I wish I'd have kept them, Travis. It's a hell of a deal for the time, because I think they were slinging those shitty little plastic things for like 20 bucks a pop. <laughs> like, yeah, and do you know what? The video only cost, uh, I think it cost my granddad nine ninety nine. so damn good. Shout out to your granddad for getting that deal, man. That's a good deal. You know what's amazing about all these Lumberjack vignettes, especially this one? It was all the Lumberjacks celebrating for Sean, when in reality, 80% of these guys hated the fucking click. So this was so phony and fakey to me. You know what I mean? It was just, it was kind of uncomfortable in a way. Just seeing, because, I mean, according to, you know, people's claims, so many of these guys' careers were destroyed by the guy they're supposed to be happy for right now. You know? (laughs) Yeah. It's just, it's a really weird thing to watch. But um, yeah, yeah. It, it, knowing like what we know now about how Sean and Kevin Nash and Scott Hall and you know Hunter eventually and one two three kid were backstage, it's like it's interesting to watch it back now because it's like what were they really thinking when they were cheering for him? It always kind of comes off to me too. Like out of all the click guys, Nash got along with the boys better than any of them. Like. So I feel like if you if you see the celebration for Nash later on, it wasn't as awkward because a lot of guys in interviews like, yeah, the click were dicks, but Nash was pretty cool. You know, I mean, Nash just gives that vibe like he's just a down to earth, cool guy. I mean, he loves money and he's cutthroat, but that's business. At the end of- <laughs> I don't think I really don't think at the end of the day that Nash sabotaged guys careers on the extent of a razor or Sean at all at all. Yeah. I think it was all razor and Sean cutting guys knees out, you know? Yeah, yeah. I- I agree. Can I, can we just say, Travis? We forgot we were talking about Bret Hart, and it'll it'll be way too late by the time people listen to this. But on the day of recording, happy birthday to Bret Hart, who is sixty three years old. God, I feel old. He he was what? He was thirty 
six-ish at this around this time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. oh my god, where did the years go? I love that clip now. Like old Bret Hart is so great, where he's uh he's 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 like, "Where's your figure, Ric Flair, Brock Lesnar?" I was on The Simpsons, and he has like a timed episode yeah. of The Simpsons behind him. It like fires up his little <laughs> clip. It's I love Bret. He gives no shits. Right. Speaking of giving no shits, tag team title action up next. My God, why do they keep doing this to fucking Owen Hart? Another pay-per-view, <laughs> Matt. Another one. Yeah, another pay-per-view, another tag team match. And I didn't time this, Travis, but it didn't go long at all, did it? I really thought as a kid that the Allied Powers were winning this. It kind of shocked me that they didn't win this, to be totally honest. I mean, did really, like... Did, I mean, I can see it as a kid, but does it shock you now, as an adult, looking back, thinking they didn't put the, the tag titles on the Allied Powers? Or do you look back and think, no, I can see why they didn't put the tag titles well, on see, the Allied Powers? It's weird, because knowing what I know now, because, you know, the curtains pull back and kayfabe's out the window, we knew Lex was out the door in a month, going yeah. back to WCW. He was having some contractual disputes and shit, and not happy. So, in retrospect, yeah, it was a good idea. At the time... It felt like a no-brainer to put. I mean, the, say what you want. I mean, they weren't the coolest tag team ever, but at the time, the Allied Powers were fucking over. These were two top guys put together as a tag team, and not. And you know why I appreciate the Allied Powers more? Because they weren't just thrown together as a tag team. They made it a point to make a match to give them theme music. That amazing remix of their theme music. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. I love that theme. I appreciate that instead of just like two like Booker T and Rob Van Dam, their team for no reason. You know, like. Yeah. I missed that. All right, let, let me rephrase the question then. Does it shock you now that they never put the tag titles on the Bulldog and Luger when it mattered? Like yes. in February 95. Yeah, especially when they were opening up Mania against the Jacob and Eli fucking blue. Like they, <laughs> yeah, they should have pulled that trigger in the spring. I mean, in your house one, we reviewed, they should have done yeah. it. You're like, yeah, especially when you have teams like Smoking Guns who didn't really matter as tag team champions, and then you bring the Body Donners along in '96, and it's like, Which is ironic make... because both of those teams are going to win the belts by the end of this year. So. Exactly. <laughs> but Holy you couldn't shit! Do it to the Bulldog and Lex. So. Besides, like I don't know, like I'm not even counting the last ten years in modern wrestling because a it's such a blur to me, and it can't hold a candle to these years. Is this the lowest point in the history of this company for tag teams? '95. Good question. <clears throat> um, I'm going to say, I mean, it depends. Like The quality of tag teams, probably yes, because you had like Well Done and Techno Team 2000 <laughs> and the Blue Brothers. And, the, you know, the Godwins have come along shortly. They weren't even that great you know, in the ring. <sighs> I'm going to say quality-wise, yes. But do you know what? And, you, you know, you you can probably disagree with me, and a lot of people listening to this will. I'm going to say Attitude Era for tag teams wasn't... It was on par with this. And it was and it wasn't, because you did get, you know, Edge and Christian, the Hardys and the Dudleys. You had the Hollies. Yeah, DX, the Outlaws. Oh, I don't know. I, I wouldn't put it in around 95. The Hollies were over. You can't deny they weren't over at one point. I mean, I mean over's one thing, but... I'm judging this on in-ring ability as a tag team. I don't think the Hollies had bad matches when they were in there with the right guys. We we, we need to do an Attitude Era pay-per-view with the Hollies on it. And... After, after SummerSlam 95, 
Let's go to 98, Matt. Fuck it. Or 99. Whenever the Hollies first had their pay-per-view match, let's go to that one and start there so we can end this great debate. Dale. <clears throat> Dale. But, um, wow. man, it goes back to saying, you know, nobody could follow that performance. You would think the crowd would be more alive for this. There were little spurs, but they were pretty much dead for this tag title match. Yeah, they were. Um, I mean, <clears throat> it was fine when Davey Boy was in there with Owen and Yoko. It fell apart when Luger got in there with Yokozuna. Get out of town! No way! (laughs) So you're two years too late. I will say, as as dull as it is to see, it's always tragic for me to see Yokozuna in 95, 96. Just the, the decline of the man, the weight he gained. So I can't watch a Yokozuna match from his last two years in WWF with just out looking at it going, what a fucking shame. It's beyond depressing, and thank God we're not going to In Your House, The Great White North, because Yokozuna wrestled King Mabel, Matt. Did you need to remind us of that? I mean... <laughs> at, least we're not, we, at least we don't have to watch it. I just talked about it. Oh, God. Do you remember his fucking dark match with Steve Austin at SummerSlam 96? Was, was this a DQ? This finish? I'm, it's blurry. It's the only finish on the show that's blurry to me. Um, I've got count out. This was no. This was pinfall. Um, Owen came off the top rope on Luger, who had Yoko covered, and then Yokozuna leg dropped on Luger for the win. My God, they had given up on Lex so much by now. It's <laughs> pathetic to think where he was two years before this, even a year yeah. before this, with the coin toss at WrestleMania. <clears throat> Jesus Christ! Talk about squandered. It's unbelievable. Like, has a star ever fallen as quickly as Lex Luger did in WWF? There's, there may be a couple cases, but not one that comes to my head immediately like Lex. No way. Because, I mean, we even saw that, what was it, like last year on Twitter, we saw that clip but like from a house show where he held the belt for a little bit. He looked good with the belt. They should have at least yeah. gave him one shot with the belt. You know? I, think, I think there's a picture uh, on Google of him with the, the belt around his waist. I'll send you it. And if I can find it, people will probably be looking at it right now. Yeah. He looked so good with that title. Um, all right, his in-ring was bad. Questionable. <laughs> questionable. Um, bad to questionable, let's say. Um, but, you know, they could have got away with it with the right opponent and, you know, the right length of match. Uh, WCW, and this time, didn't do a lot right. But at least when Luger came in in September, you know, the shocking debut on Nitro, yeah. they put him at the top of the card and made him somewhat relevant. More than this, for fuck's sake. They at least tried something with him, you know, where he joined the Dungeon of Doom, was feuding with Hogan, and then he was like a tweener. It was more captivating than anything else he did in this company in 95. He was just a mid-card guy who ate the fucking pin all the time, I feel like. Yeah. Um, for no reason. Uh, do you know what? Even suffered a, a count-out loss in a King of the Ring qualifying match they they didn't even deem him important enough to put in the king of the ring tournament yep yep just and pathetic got spark plug holly beating you out for a spot you know your career's in the shits <laughs> but no i remember this match specifically i wanted the allied powers to win the belt so fucking bad i don't know why i was such a big fan of these guys but i mean hindsight it's kind of like we took up the mantle we're the new allied powers, so it all worked out <clears throat> Yes, indeed. Have you still got that picture of I did of us as Davey and Lex? 
Oh God, probably not. I'd have to do some digging. That was like two years ago now, I think. I might, I might have to rejig it. So yeah, we we can uh, maybe put it on the intro or something. It's a shame the thumbnail's already done and in the book. <laughs> um, is it main event time? Fucking finally on this goddamn show. Oh God. Um, no, we see how Sid. Oh, it's Doc Sid Hendricks, is- right? Like having a fucking seizure backstage. Um, is it, is it, is it, is it, fuck knows. Do you know what? All I've got here is we see how Sid and Diesel came together in a highlight package. All uh, the yeah, lumberjacks, yeah, yeah, all the lumberjacks come out and then we go backstage to Todd Pettengill. Pettengill. <laughs> Pettengill. It's, it's, it's at this point in the podcast, listeners, you'll, you'll hear that I've given up. So yes, <laughs> Todd Pettengill. With Diesel, um, and Diesel says he's not running anywhere, and he'll finish it once and for all tonight. <laughs> Three pay-per-views of Sid and Diesel. Three pay-per-views of terrible, boring Diesel promos. Completely. Yeah. For me. Awful. He, it's <laughs> like he had, he had no spark about him. And I know we're, you know, they're, it's the new generation. They're not trying to do the yelly 80s promos anymore. But Jesus Christ, could you have some life to you? It's up there with Roman, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you just thought they'd have uh, run him through promos and, you know, made him what. But no, it, he, he was Kevin Nash. And, you know, Vince wasn't going to say anything to him because of the click and didn't want to upset Sean and didn't want to upset his champion, etc. So, got away think- with it. I think even Diesel's entrance on this spoke to the confidence they had in them because they didn't let him, let him come out unless they had Sean right by his side for this entrance. You know what I mean? Like, all the Lumberjacks came out except Sean. He had to come out with Diesel, you know? Of course he did. Well, sh- sh- I mean, let's be honest. Sean was an integral part of this feud. Like, it was Sean that started it all off when right. he was attacked by Sid. So, I mean, I, I guess I see it. And, obviously, you know, Sean would get some retribution during this, but... But, but at the same time, I felt like that came off as, oh, look, it's the new IC champion again. Sean's back, as opposed to, all right, Diesel's here. It kind of took the attention yeah. off Diesel completely for me. I mean, that wasn't a bad thing for me. Like, I, I, honestly, <laughs> after Junior House won and uh, King of the Ring main event, it was like, just take anyone can take it away from Kevin Nash. I don't care. Because this, once again, was the shit. This match, guys, fucking sucked. <laughs> It was and and, and it's, it's, it's even worse the fact that it's a fucking lumberjack match and you have trouble seeing half of it. And I can only imagine it made sense too why the live crowd was more dead because they couldn't see shit. Unless you started in the risers and the rafters, you could not see shit for this lumberjack match because you got guys like Bundy and Mabel out there blocking up the goddamn ring. <laughs> fucking good luck saying anything with Mabel stood in front of you. Well, now we can get to Mabel because this seed was finally planted. Turning yeah. us to the main event of SummerSlam. Diesel thrown to the outside. You know, the typical lumberjack match of a babyface is thrown out. The heels attack and blah, blah, blah. The babyfaces are too good for that. They just toss the heel in. Whatever. Diesel gets <laughs> tossed to the outside, posted by Mabel with a splash. Um, Diesel sold that pretty well, actually. But that was the harbinger for their feud in SummerSlam 91. That little spot. That's where it all yep. started. And you know what? This is going to sound so contradictory now to what we've said about Mabel being in the main event, etc. But I suppose at least they did something with the King of the Ring winner of 95 and didn't just let it peter out. Right. Because, I mean, 
if they'd have, you know, crowned Mabel, had him in this sort of mini feud with Razor and Savio Vega, and then just did nothing, they're 96 King of the Ring. I think they'd have had a harder time making people believe they were going to push Austin into the main event picture. It's insane to me because, like, two weeks after this on TV, they, they did the quote shake up with the new president, Gorilla Monsoon, the most fan friendly president ever. And they were, they saw their TV ratings, they saw their approval with the fans. They had to nix plans and shake shit up just to get viewers again. So the original plan for SummerSlam 95 was the IC title match, Sid and Sean. That was scrapped for a babyface, babyface ladder match that everybody wanted to see. Awesome decision. They shook up a lot of the creative, a lot of the card. But the one thing that they <laughs> should have fucking shook up was that one of the worst main events ever at SummerSlam 95. They didn't touch Diesel and Mabel. No, leave that intact because that's fucking money. I'm like, again, it's like, I, I can see why they left it intact, because they wanted people to believe that, you know, the King of the Ring meant something if you won it, and it would elevate you, you know, into the main event picture. I, I can, But obviously, it's like, Mabel was the wrong man to do it with. We kind of got it the year before, too, where Owen got the shot at SummerSlam and lost, too, yeah. in the King yeah. of the Rings. Also, I mean, fair play, looking at this goddamn roster, and anyone not named Sid, main event in SummerSlam with Diesel, I don't know, unless you do a babyface, babyface match. There's nobody, in my opinion. Oh, None. fuck, I, I could not have took a fourth pay-per-view, Travis, of these two. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, you know, I, I've usually got little hair. I've grown it out, obviously, in, in the uh, pandemic, because there's no hairdressers open, but I'd have been pulling it out. Fucking four, four pay-per-views. Sure, this, you don't hate me that much. <laughs> this is three pay-per-view main events in a row where not yeah. one thing about the match is memorable. Nothing. Nope. The, the one thing I remember from all three is Sid walking out onto Tonka at King of the Ring. That's it. And, and Mabel Post and Diesel. That's it. That's it. So pathetic. <laughs> Good. So how can you have three main events and not, you know, one of them memorable or one really standout thing from any of them awful i don't even think diesel used the jackknife he got the win here with what a second a second rope clothesline that looked like shit and that was the pin um no 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 he, he got the win with a big boot actually just just stuck it in sid's face and that was the end but <laughs> the worst part of this match i mean it, it was all dog shit but the worst part of this was he power bombs Diesel, Sid. Uh, Diesel counts counters a second power bomb with a backdrop. And then for some reason, Sid just rolls outside and goes starts attacking the baby faces. I think it was to drive home the fact that he was off kilter and psycho, but yeah, it was I get it. It's awful. Awful. Just shit. Like, you oh, make him a chicken shit heel before walking out on two guys, but on this, you're going to make him just dive into 50 guys and start slinging away. It made no sense. What, what, what's his character? And you know <laughs> is what? he a it pussy done... or is he a fucking vigilante? What is Sid? It was done just completely so Shawn Michaels could dive off the top rope onto him. Yep. That's, that yep, was it. There it is. There's the one fucking thing I remember. Thank you, Matt. Just for that one little spot to build up your secondary champion. Not even your world champion. But and with yeah, that, in, in all honesty, the most important champ, single champion in WWF, because no one cared about Diesel at this point. Hindsight, now that we're through this pay-per-view, I think it's fair to say that 
considering the location, the steady build throughout the entire show with one angle. Sean and Jeff Jarrett, they should have took a chance at the time and should have put the – I mean, they hadn't done it since SummerSlam 92, but that should have been your main event. I don't give yeah. a fuck if it was a lumberjack match, a cage match. Vince has watched Sid and Diesel on house shows and pay-per-views at this point. Vince knew these guys had no fucking chemistry together, you know? <laughs> you know what? Even more insulting is that Brett and Owen went on mid – well, not mid-car, but they weren't main event at SummerSlam 94. So you yeah. could have dropped the WWF Championship match into the mid-card here. It was okay then when it was Brett and Owen to throw them in the middle of the card, but God forbid we put Diesel and Mabel or Diesel or anybody in the middle of the card when the title's in the line. What is your final grade for In Your House 2, the Lumber and Lumberjacks? Do you know what? Bar in the main event, this show was very, very good. Um, I mean, obviously a questionable tag team championship match, but the Jeff Jarrett stuff made it stand out for me. So I'm going to give this a solid B-. I got, you know what? I'm going to give it a solid B just because, like I said, this is, I'm, I'm kind of biased on this pay-per-view. I love it so much just for childhood reasons, but I'm with you, man. Every low point you mentioned is definitely there. Besides, Henry Godwin, Godwin and Bigelow took a lot out of this show, too, right in the oh, middle wow. of it. Um, just abysmal. Um, a main event that you could skip any day of the week and you wouldn't miss a fucking thing. So if you're going to fire this up on your network, you don't even need to watch that. Just watch it out till Sean and Jeff and then call it a day. Yeah, there you go. there's your recommendation. Done. Signed, sealed, delivered. Even if you love Owen Hardham, I hate to say it, skip this Owen match. You're not, you're not doing yeah, yourself not any solid. favors watching it. Yeah, not definitely not his solidest moment. We are so close, Matt, to the Summer of Terror finally <laughs> coming to a decisive event. Next episode, we're going to the second biggest show of the year, pal, SummerSlam 95. But before we do, one more time, before we get out of here, where can everyone catch you? You can catch me on Twitter at the Perfect Tenant. You can log on to unionsmack.bigcartel.com, grab a shirt from all of Travis's shows, and more news on both books coming very shortly. I am, believe it or not, Travis, after almost a year of saying it, I am now four drawings away from completing the NXT UK book. And I saw a little sneak peek, and if that's any indication, they're amazing. I can't wait. You should honestly just wow. Now, who 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 draws all the stuff for the book for me, covers and inside as well, just amazing artist. And I can't thank him enough for all the work he's put into it. Indeed, and once again, we don't do it enough. Thank you to Optic K for the amazing new logo, Serena Fruit Bad for the new muted shirt. Anyone that's helped contributed to anything we do as far as artists and stuff, guys, give them all a follow on Twitter. So criminally underrated. And with that, follow me on Twitter at the TMD. Hit that red subscribe button down below for all the goodness Roger Gaming for a wrestling heavy metal podcast 1995 and Terry Belea's bullshit. <laughs> Until next time, this is Union Smack. Cheerio, mates. <laughs>